and we are live. Hey, welcome to our live podcast recording. Like literally live. We, for episode 40, we had to pull out all the stops. We uh, had to do it we in person. Flew up here direct just for up, the podcast. Just for the pod. No other reason. There's only, only reason I'm up here is just yeah. for episode 40. We got to yeah. get the fans that they want. This is all in having uh, fan get togethers for episode 100. No, we are getting together live for episode 40. Yeah, so, what, my first millions having meetups in Austin and yeah, this is our meetup. This is our meetup. Now, I will say, I've we've both been listening to the pod a lot. Our pod. We've been okay. actually listening to our pod yeah. as opposed to just recording it and putting it out into ether like we normally do. It's been good. Like, we have good takes. I feel like when I listen to it, it's genuinely pretty good. Not to, this yeah. is terrible contact. We're talking about how good our podcast is. But I know it has a purpose. Trust me. Okay. Okay. And the purpose is for all 30 of you that are out there, we we like genuinely, I would love to meet you. I would love to know who you are. I'd love to know what your deal is. Uh, please reach out to us. Follow Seth at Seth J. Kramer on Twitter. Uh, me at Maddie Build. Like seriously, reach out to us. We would love to hear from you and understand what your deal is. So, Our DMs are open. Our DMs, the DMs are, wide are, are wide, wide open. They I, we get flooded, but we will always make room for you. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure my DMs are only you sending me cool tweets. It, it's like huh? Seth sending me cool stuff. So please, I will. I promise, I will see it. If, yeah, it would. It would actually be awesome if there is anyone out there that's actually listening to this. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's just like. 30 downloads because people subscribed and they're not listening, but I think people are listening. I think people are listening. And I'm going to try to look at the screen because I think the audio quality is going to be worse if I look at you, but mm, we'll try. We'll, we'll roll with the punches. I'm, uh, well, that's not good. Now with, <laughs> I mean, honestly, whatever. It's fine. We'll make it. We'll, we'll get Ben on it. And post. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Post production is going to do a good thing. So you told me you have heat this week. Did, Did I, I tell you that? I, maybe I'm just projecting it onto you. I, you got this like aura of I didn't say that at bringing all, the heat. So what, uh, do you, what do you got for me this week? Well, I, I think there's a couple just interesting things that I want to talk about with you that I would just want to talk about regardless uh, if we weren't hosting a podcast. And there's a few things in the news. Not that this is a news podcast per se, but there's a few things that I, I thought were interesting. One thing I saw right before we started recording was... So so it's about Airbnb. You may have seen Brian Chesky tweet out yesterday, like a list of 50 things that they were changing about Airbnb based on the feedback. Yeah. And one thing that I didn't see until today was one of their features that they're pushing out is they're pushing, they're separating out uh, the ability to search for just a room versus searching for like a, like a room where someone else is going to be in the house with you, like more of like a, um, like a true Airbnb, like a true Airbnb experience yeah. versus the like the home that's like where, where you have the entire apartment to yourself. Yeah. And what they're doing to try and optimize for that is the hosts who are doing that. Now you can read a lot more information about them, so you can see like where they work, um, what they're interested in, like just a lot more information about them to like. And I think reviews on the host specifically in that context, which I think is really cool. I just thought that was a very cool product feature that they're building in because i just know for myself if i'm choosing an airbnb like i would almost never want to choose the shared room situation i think for that reason you're not going to do it if you don't really know about the person but i would be open to it if i was able to learn about the person beforehand yeah that's kind of cool so it's interesting i guess my my initial reaction was i'm sure the reason they did this was they got complaints from people who weren't aware that they were booking a shared room and then they show up and they're like oh my god like why is there someone else here that could be the case and, too yeah um but I, I wonder if it's more what you're saying which is like they can create this it's just like making the process of renting a shared room more attractive yes i think it's, um, i think it's increasing the market size basically by doing this in my yeah view. yeah i guess it probably is like i would imagine too the like landscape of people who own these airbnb homes it's probably bifurcated between People who are running businesses, like they have a bunch of homes, they're managing a bunch of properties. It's it's not necessarily sterile, but you're like, it's almost like booking a hotel room. You're like yeah. booking a, a place. Like I'm going to a bachelor party next week and I booked the Airbnb in Austin and it's and like some guy has like and that, these. And that's the only way I've ever used yeah. Airbnb. I've only used it in, the, in like a hotel replacement and not of like actually meeting someone, which is how they started Airbnb. Basically. Yeah. yeah, right. And but... I agree with you. And I don't really, I think it's cool and probably like lends itself more to 
sharing room with someone is like, oh yeah, they're cool and I just want to meet them and they seem nice and they're not going to murder me and I actually have like a little bit of info about them. Yeah, yeah. Would you actually use it or no? I still don't know if I would actually use it. Yeah, I, I would not. There's a specific use case that I, w- I would use it yet. Yeah. But I could imagine like, first, I, I, I think I would be more likely to use it if the situation came up where I was somehow in a city for a night and like, yeah, I, I don't know. But, I mean, gun to your head, you're not using it. But, <laughs> but, but Brian, great feature. Like, a cool rollout. I still think it's a feature <laughs> that, like, I don't know. I think it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm just trying to think of, I like, stay with Brian Chesky because I hear he's opened up his home prayer. Did you see that? Then people I did see with that. Him. Yeah. 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 Apparently, it's cool. He'll, like, make pancakes or waffles <laughs> or something. It seems like he, <laughs> weekends are wide open. <laughs> I've got, like, Brian just needs friends. We need to get Brian some hobbies. Other than just like uh, opening up his home and making some pancakes with his guests. <laughs> it's actually really funny. Yeah, I heard it's, it's like literally in his home. It's like with his dog and everything. I know. I'm wondering how he did that. Like, are, like, do you have to submit to be like reviewed and only certain people were accepted into it? I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I've only seen one person do it and it was like a seed investor in Airbnb who went back for a board. Yeah, it, 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 so it, it, and I don't know yes. if it's actually a thing. Yeah. I don't think I'm personally using that for those reasons I'm out, but yeah. Uh, Cool feature. Like, I think if, if you were to pull it off, it would probably be more like, well, I think it probably accomplishes two things. One is it, like, ensures that if you are getting an Airbnb, you know exactly which setup you're signing up for. Yeah. And uh, for the people who would want to get a shared room, I'm sure that it is more attractive to figure out, to learn more about who you're actually booking from and going to be living with. So, I don't know. Kind of cool. Yeah, totally. Um, well, that's all I got. I just thought it was a cool feature that they're building out. I think, like, we'll see. Yeah. This could also go into our uh, stock picking conversation of. Uh, oh, yeah, we're bringing back our stock. Is Airbnb, pick. Would you buy Airbnb right now? Is it a good buy? I feel like the, the bull case on Airbnb beyond what they're currently accomplishing has to be like, um, I think even more people are going to travel or, and or um, when people travel, they're going to opt for Airbnbs even more than. Yeah, hotels. Um, and also probably that like there's, I don't know. I, I just don't really see, I, I would think actually like the bull case for me for Airbnb would be if they figure out some way to uh, drive loyalty to Airbnb above and beyond what they're currently doing so that people like take more bookings or uh, initiate more bookings. Um, kind of like people are loyal to like Marriott in the back back in the day it was like Marriott mm-hmm. versus SPG, and you do like all your travel to those places. But like maybe if they get into different businesses like business travel, or if they get get people to like take more trips, those would have to be like the bull cases to me beyond what they currently do. And I have no yeah. basis for saying whether that's going to be true or not. Um, I think if you buy stock yeah. at this point, it'd just be like I think the founders are good and they're well operated or they're operating that, well, and that's it. Yeah, that that that's how I would view it. Is that the, I think Brian Chesky is is awesome. He's still the CEO. He's a, you're able to invest in a founder CEO, and I think just being able to invest in a founder CEO like that that you really like is valuable. I agree. I think even just just personally, I think it would be hard knowing that even I feel like I'm much more likely to opt for a hotel now than an Airbnb than I used to be. And I think part of those reasons are, I mean, they're aware of the fact that like. Uh, Airbnbs are more expensive, a lot of cleaning fees, a lot of things that make a hotel more attractive in a lot of cases. I wonder if there's something crazy they could do, like, like, would there be some merger, like them and like Marriott merging or something? And then you have this ultimate rewards program and like ultimate choice of like hotel or Airbnb. Is there some future where something like that could happen? Yeah, my brain was actually going in a a similar but slightly different direction is do they start operating their own properties? Like, do they come out with this really unique mix of places that you can stay at? Mm-hmm. Such that it's like, oh, it's a no-brainer. Like, I, I could, like, go stay in these Airbnb properties and they, like, get even more of the margin and they get people to be loyal to them because there are these unique places you can go to that are only Airbnb properties that are not mm-hmm. on any other platform. It's not a VRBO. It's not anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, like, in every, know, in every like, city, they could operate. Like, every major city, they could operate. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess to your be point, like, like would you be shocked if there's like a yeah, would you be shocked if there's like an Airbnb hotel in most major cities? I would not be shocked. I would. I'm sure they've thought yeah. about that too. Yeah, I think I would think if they did it, it would be kind of like the Marriott autograph collection, where it's like 
these kind of these places are like kind of unique to the city of the red they're cool and but they're still like yeah brand actually i just really like that idea and then they could yeah. also it, they don't even have to make those as profitable i feel like it, it's almost like a brand thing it's like a brand everyone yeah. knows like the airbnb hotel is amazing yeah and they wouldn't call it a hotel but whatever the airbnb house is amazing and, yeah uh i think that would be really good for their brand and make people it would also be more of an option for people who still they can get people who would otherwise stay in a Marriott and get them to kind of stay in the ecosystem. Yeah. The only reason I think they might not do it is because they're going to start competing directly with the supply side of their platform. And I don't know if they want to do that. And also it's just so expensive. Yeah. Now, like, would it be cool? Yeah, I think it would be cool. Do I think that they're going to do it? I actually don't know if they're going to do it, but yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of agree with you on like well-run founder CEO led company. Like what's not to be bullish about. Yeah. Um, do you have any other stock picks off the top of your head or no? Because I, I think it's something that we should be thinking yeah. about more. I need to invest more, but I also need to start thinking about what I want to invest in. Yeah. The coming down. Yeah. yeah I, have, I haven't done a lot of thinking about my portfolio currently. I own Coinbase, which um, I think I bought it when, like, after it dropped a lot. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this is like a year ago or so. I don't remember the exact date. I think it's down a little bit from that. Even it's it's yeah. not as bad as some of my other stocks because I did buy it when it was pretty far down. But yeah, overall, I think I, I still own Square, which uh, yeah, this is obviously not investment advice because we haven't done very well with these stock picks lately. Um, which I don't know. It's, it's like a, a lot of stocks that I bought at the beginning of the like back during the middle of COVID, and then. They did really well, and then now they're not doing so well. And I kind of just need to like reevaluate in this current environment what makes sense to buy and what's going to be the best in the next year, yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm honestly like, I'm pretty disconnected from prices, so I don't really know what companies are up or down. Um, in here, and so like generally things that I think could be interesting. One is Amazon. I think they're a sneaky AI mm. player. Mm. I think if they wanted to unleash something like a call centered like some service where you can just have like a call center in the cloud you can just use it right then they have a ton of incentive to build that internally and then to spin it out i think there's room for them to build all these ancillary services so that's one it sounds like that's you want a, to riff on no that. that's an interesting one yeah, yeah. I, I like that also if this is another topic we're going to talk about but if the there was just a whole thing today where google leaked a memo where they they think that there's no mode in ai and it's all going to go open source and basically become free or very, very cheap and available to anyone to use these models. And there's going to be essentially this, like what happened to Dolly with OpenAI and when Stable Diffusion came out and open sourced it, yeah. it's going to happen to GPT-3, GPT-4. Um, if that happens, is Amazon really well positioned because they have all of the echoes in everyone's uh, house Didn't they already. stop making echoes though? No, I think Echo is still a, a big. What did they discontinue? Thing did they discontinue Echo? I should look that up. I don't think so. Yeah, we're uh, doing some live uh, research here. I I don't know why. I thought that they got rid of their. They shut down Alexa.com, uh, but that's not Echo. No, I think I think. I think Echo. Oh, pretty sure it's still on, but I I could be wrong. I don't know where I saw that or why I thought I saw that, but. Uh, my computer's recording, so I can't even pick it up. Anyway, um, regardless, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, think the they, I think that they, um, I think that's interesting, plus all the other applications where they could use AI. So, uh, yeah, or their own models that are, I don't know, do they have good AI models compared to like OpenAI and, and Google or not? Like Alexa, I don't know, has not, like, they would have been the one that you would think have, would have come out with the best LLM for Alexa. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Building on Google, you were talking about Google for a second. I think yeah. there's sneaky potential for Google to buy Replit. And I think if they do, I, I think they're angle, like, I'm sure they tried to. I'm sure they made a mm -hmm. bid for Replit when they announced their partnership a few weeks ago. And mm -hmm. the benefit that Replit has over something like ChatGPT, where like my workflow as developer is I have my code that's sitting in my uh, IDE on my computer and I go to chat GPT with questions and then it spits out like, okay, that's what you should do. And then I bring it back to my IDE. And uh, the benefit that Replo would have is it, there's no like I need to copy and paste from here. Like that's my job. I'm basically like a professional copy paster. 
And for Replit, you just like run it all right there. Yeah. And so if you wanted to be bullish on Google, I think there actually is room for them to grow and build a better experience than what ChatGPT currently offers for something like development, development, which they could do if they continue partnering with Replit. Um, what is the Google Replit partnership? So Replit is now building, I think everything is hosted on Google Cloud and Google Cloud and whatever, it might be Bard or whatever LLM they have. I think their code integrates That's what directly using. to Replit. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so how do we get on Google? We, we go like back to Google. Amazon. Oh yeah, Amazon. We're talking about Amazon as a potential stock pick. That's what we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like, yeah, I think that's interesting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like I should own Amazon regardless. Yeah. It's, it's, it's everywhere and it's, um, the acquired guys really like it. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, we shouldn't sleep on our boy, Barry McCarthy. Let's, okay. Hell, this is, no, okay. This is my, this is my hot <laughs> take that I don't know if I actually would invest in, but, uh, yeah, we flew, we flew very high with Peloton. Yeah. Well, I made a huge profit on Peloton. You sold it. I sold it at like 106. Yeah, you sold it. And I bought it at like 40. So yeah. That was great. Yeah. I put it all into crypto. So that's a separate story. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, uh, we were flying close to the sun. Um, cool. Any other stock picks off the top of your head or you want to go to the next? Uh, let's go to the next topic. What do you have? Okay. Yeah. All right. So I had, uh, we were going back and forth about this yesterday, but I, I commented on, Forcon thread on uh, F. Inc. launching a venture studio. This is a good topic. I yeah. like this one. Okay. Yeah. So I, I have thoughts about venture studios generally. Yeah. I have thoughts actually for you specifically as Mr. One Man Venture Studio about a one person venture studio that I want to run. And it's directly related to this conversation about AI and a lot of the topics we've been talking about. Cool. Yeah. I, I think okay. I think all of those are good. I also have I have some additional thoughts about my thoughts on whether I want to run a venture studio in general. So okay. I'll tie in, but yeah. Uh, okay. Maybe I'll, I'll quickly talk about my, my like comment on the thread. Cause I think it leads into yeah. my thoughts on a one-man venture studio. And then it'll lead into yes. what you're talking about. So yeah, yeah. F.A. Inc. launched a venture studio. They're taking 30% of the equity and companies that What's come What's Inc.? Founders Inc. It's like a, I don't know. It's almost like a, a workspace for people who live in San Francisco and are building products. There are a lot of companies that have come out of Founders Inc. So like um, Build Spaces come out of there. What was the one that Forcon's leading right now? There's a Web3. Before this, did they have a product or they were just like, he has been a successful entrepreneur and opened up this space? Basically. He's been, yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. it's like a collective of cool founders that work together and uh, cool, like genuinely cool products have come out of it. Forcon's yeah. really successful. No problems there. Uh, they launched a venture studio, which uh, their models are basically like, having an entrepreneur in residence program where they're going to pay you a salary and exchange for that salary. Like whenever company you start and they're going to help you get off the ground, they're going to pay expenses to get off the ground. They're just going to take 30% of it whenever it's out. Yes. And, and is, is this, is this the standard model for startup studios? A lot like, of are they innovating this. on this or is this something no, that this is, people do in this yeah. same thing? Like I can speak to it. Um, if I'm Madison where I've worked and other startup studios do the same thing, but 25 Madison does like three, there are like three ways that they get integrated into startups. One is uh, they will invest in an external. It's like standard VC. The second is they have a studio where they come up with ideas internally and they build them and then find a CEO to take those over. So that's like a pre-vetted idea that they'll find a CEO for. And the third is an entrepreneur resident program, which is basically what Founders Inc. is doing. Is and they pay um, you a salary. They pay you a salary. They'll like give you about a year to work something off the ground. They'll workshop it with you. They'll give you some uh, resources. Like they'll pay for, you know, some like marketing tests if you want to do some standard like um, web page tests. They'll give you some branding services and some other marketing services. Um, and they'll be like kind of your team. Yeah. So that you can get something off the ground. And then when it's ready to go, it's like theoretically validated and it should be a successful company or it should at least increase the odds of success because you can never get to 100. Um, and so that's the same. And you, there are like some details that are different about how much they take of your company. Like venture studios tend to take a lot. It can be very extractive. I think it's starting to get better. But More it, than 30%? Or oh yeah, like it's, it wouldn't be uncommon for them to take like 50%, 70%. Yeah. Um, I think 25 Madison is now settled closer to 25%. Got it. I, I don't think that's like proprietary, nor is it necessarily exactly what they do every time. But, right. But well, we know that F.Inc. is doing 30%. And that is on the, 
Some of them are doing way more than that. They're doing 30%. Yeah. And, and also the yeah. salaries range, like 25 Madison pays 150 if your founder wants to do this, which like, that actually is not that bad. If you want to go and be and like found something in a risk-free way, I think it's really cool that those resources exist. 25 or 30% of a pre-seed company, that was just like a lot. It's a it's lot, a lot because if you think about it, is that, okay, so is it 25% before you raise money and then you raise money and then you're down to another yeah. 25% is given away. So now yeah. you think of them like a get quarter diluted right, right away. Yeah, totally. um, like a, 30 a third a third co-founder co co going. Uh, yeah. And um, I, I think the hard thing for the model is just that it's really hard to attract a good founder to want to sign up for that. Like if you're an established founder and, or you like have the ability to go test ideas on your own, and you kind of know what you're doing generally, then you're going to you're not going to take that deal. Right. You're going to do that on the side of your job. Or you're going to just like get something off the ground. Or you're going to go raise a round around it. But giving up that much money that quickly is something that you would only probably do if you're not very experienced. I guess and, uh I agree with you. I'm wondering for F.Inc., because he has this Twitter following and like he has this community in San Francisco, do you think that they are in a different situation where he has better founder flow in a way? Like he's able to get these founders uh, to want to work with him and he's going to get good founders because he's him, basically. He could, but I think that only goes so far, which is why I yeah. think that. This is my two cents. I think the model for him needs to be like, we're going to take closer to 10%, which is be more of like a, okay, like I'll take a flyer on it. 10% is like 10%, but it's not crazy. It doesn't yeah. completely destroy how much I own this company. Yeah. And then they have the opportunity to, to invest if they want to. And you can still attract really good founders because maybe I just want to like hang around really cool people for a while. And I'm kind of willing to trade off like I'm getting a good salary and I'm around other cool builders and I'm giving up 10% for it. Yeah, I think that's probably like closer to what is reasonable for me, where that's something I would actually think of signing up for. 30% is just a lot. But you're right. Yeah. Like maybe he just has deal flow and he can get people to do that. I just think it has to be, in my mind, the like way that venture studios work is I think that you just think of yourself as we're going to own a part of a lot of companies or increase the odds of achieving a successful outcome from those companies. And that's how you make it work with the upfront money that you're going to Totally. Um, I guess I'm trying to think about. So you have like Y Combinator, right? And then you have yeah. uh, a startup studio. Like a yeah. startup studio is the the very beginning stage, right? There's not even a company yet. Uh, y Combinator are, and like other, I guess, accelerators, but Y Combinator specifically. But this is also, they have the brand, so they're willing, they're able to take this. They take a lot. They take a lot for sure. But they give you, I think they give you like 500K now for 7% of your company. I think it's a pretty uh, good deal. Which is now a pretty good deal. Um, and, but the people they're bringing on are generally have something that's somewhat validated. A lot of them are pretty early stage though and not really super validated. I feel like it's more of an idea for a lot we of We even just did the YC episode. It was not like those ideas were super fluffed out or developed. No, they were pretty early on. a lot on of our... like ideas on it again. So a lot of it is, is it is somewhat comparable to a startup studio if you think about it right yeah it's yes i think it's comparable except they're not giving you like developers and designers to like help that's you the difference help it's, build, less it's more yeah. like you go off and you do this and studio is more like we are gonna really help you get right and test it with you i, I you think that's what's hard though is like how do you how much are they like everyone's probably all of them are probably different but like how much are they going to do or not i guess i don't i guess that's I've never been inside a startup studio, so it's hard to know if I were founding a company in there. Like, do you have like a full time design that like developer designer that are just like building your yeah. app basically? Is, uh, is that, maybe not only for your app, but there are like a few, few or something like that. Yeah, I, I think partially it depends on the studio because like at least 25 Madison when I was there, they have developers now, but it was mostly branding services. Like that was yeah. So they had not necessarily one dedicated person to your team, but it was like. We're working, the studio has people that are working on multiple ideas mm -hmm. and they're going to split their resources that way. Yeah. And, um, but now they do have developers, but maybe I don't think it would be a full-time developer for each one. They would probably mm -hmm. assign a developer to each one when they actually spend them out. Right. Um, but they'll give you some developer resources. Yeah. And so yeah, like that's honestly, that's like valuable. That is, it is valuable. It's super sure, valuable. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I agree. It's like, I just think it's uh, how you make the model it, work. 30% is a lot. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I haven't modeled out like how this works or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think, and it also depends on who's coming in. Like, are you coming in 
like to be an entrepreneur in residence and you're basically coming up with the idea or going from scratch versus uh, coming in with a validated idea that they have. Obviously, they deserve a lot of the equity if they built it themselves. On the other hand, this an interesting, I'm curious to get your thoughts on on this is because so I was just seeing on Twitter, there was a conversation about like, can you hire a CEO for like a seed stage company? And, and yeah. that's the other thing. Like, how does it ever make sense for a good CEO to come in to like at a, such an early stage? So they're coming in, they're basically coming in, they're not getting the equity of like a founder, basically, but it's still not that validated. Like, it's still pretty early on in the company. Yeah. You know, it's hard. I, I think the here's the challenge from all sides. It's hard think, to like hire a CEO and align all incentives at such an early stage company. Yeah. I think both founders and studios want to have their cake and eat it too. Studios want to own large chunk of a lot of companies and have them pretty validated to the point where they think there's going to be an elevated chance of success. Yeah. And they want to like hire and find amazing CEOs to run these companies who are willing to not own like what a normal founder CEO would own at right. the seed stage of a company. And the founders themselves, like I texted you yesterday, like I want to own all of my company, but get the salary and the benefits right. of the service. And I think honestly where it needs to net out. Oh, and this is the other part too, is I think that like the, a lot of the studios think, well, we're going to come up with ideas and testing early stage business ideas. So we're going to like do that and spin them out and we'll just own like a big chunk of all these companies. Mm. But I, I think it's really hard to do that in practice because of exactly what you said, which is how do you find a CEO who's, who's really good and is willing to so yeah, on all right. sides, it's like unless you're willing to pay them like an insane amount of money, to yeah. cash to do it, right? right like, totally, which I think you would probably need to do. But so my view on what a venture studio should be and should do successfully is, um, I think there are probably like three types. One is you own maybe like ten percent of the start of a lot of businesses, and your mm -hmm. core competency is we are good at testing, is ideas off the ground, and we have like some shared services like branding stuff that we can give you. And uh, we're going to send you off, but we're going to have a process in place that increases the odds of you succeeding, of you getting to like the next stage with less dilution. And like, just we're going to basically make the model work such that we're going to like spend all that money up front. And right. we're, all, we're like increasing the odds relative to a normal founder that you're going to actually exit successfully. Mm -hmm. I think the second, which 25 Madison has started to do, and I think is really smart, is they're operating in a vertical. And so they have like a 25 Madison Health studio specifically, and they have a relationship with their funder, Apollo, which is a big private equity fund. Apollo owns like a bunch of hospital networks and a bunch of health, big yeah. healthcare companies. And so their goal is basically like, okay, well, Apollo's paying us. We have a health studio. We're going to spin out a bunch of companies where the customer of these products is Apollo's yeah. portfolio companies. Yeah. And then that's like, to me, a really bright model. And because you kind of have like a corner of that market, you can very realistically say, oh, I mean, like we're helping you start this company. You would never have access to these customers. Otherwise we're taking like five or 30%. Yeah. That makes total sense to me. I think the third one, which is what I want to chat with you about is you build all the companies internally, you operate them internally because you're also good at that. And you own as close to hundred percent of these companies as possible. You just have a few different companies. Right. And um, I, this is what I've been thinking about a lot recently. And then it, you operate it you could have a, a team that works for you that operates yeah. it, but they're not founders. They're they're It's a different person. It's a, it's a, different, it's a yeah. different type of person, basically. Right. Yeah. And the perfect storm that's happening right now is, um, like, you've already figured this out, and I think you're, like, really at the forefront of this, even if you don't think of yourself this way, is you get so much leverage from technology to the point where, like, one person or a very small team yeah. can run a few different products really successfully. Yeah. And um, if you think about it that way, I've, I've been like having this thought for the past few days about a fitness technology venture studio that I'm running and where I could spin out a bunch of products and maybe like the first product, like a few ideas for products I could start with, but maybe I come out with the gym reimbursement idea. Mm -hmm. And then what do I do? Like I have, I can run that. It's like kind of set up. And all of a sudden I'm going to have a list of a lot of people who are customers who pay like thousands of dollars a year for gym memberships who mm -hmm. are very into their health. And I can say, oh, well, how can I build another business around these people? I can keep just like doing the same thing and just launch more and more product. Yeah. And um, it's not easy, but it's like easier to be able to manage all these products because one, there's like synergies between that. But two, like AI and all this new technology is enabling you to build more products and manage them more effortlessly than you could at any point. 
industry. Yes, there's definitely, there's more leverage now between AI and no code than there ever has been before, 100%. Yeah. And I, I like that idea. I, I do agree with it. I think that just some, some thoughts that like I've been having around yeah, this is good. Uh, this is my own uh, like businesses specifically. Lately, I've just been spending more time on no code MBA. I've been hiring people for that. I've been uh, optimizing. It's like it's working, right? So when, when something's working, I think it's important to continue, like keep pushing on it as a, and, and stay focused on it. Um, and conference tap, which I, which is the event, um, uh, event software for like virtual events. I've been using that for no code MBAs, like events, which has been cool, but yeah. I, I haven't been spending any time trying to get customers for that. And maybe at some point I, I will in the future, or maybe that's not the right second business to like have it, have it on a, like have on top of it. I think the thing is, it's just like, it's. If something starts working, it's hard enough to like get that to continue working, yeah. let alone like do that and try and have another business do yeah. that. Right. So I feel like and, and maybe like what makes sense is incubating these that you have the leverage to incubate a lot of ideas. But once something starts working, you do kind of have to spend a like a good amount of your time on it. And then like you're not going to be able to like really probably significantly grow multiple businesses at the same time uh on your own, right? Like maybe if you start having teams that can do it like maybe you can right or maybe you're kind of end up being the ceo of these multiple companies but you have teams that are that are building them out and and that could work and then that's kind of the studio where you you are a studio but i think i think there is a point where like a one person leverage like does kind of break and like yeah. it's not really possible to even like think about everything at the same time yeah uh, it, and that's kind of so so maybe like where like i don't like yeah one one I think I think there's kind of a balance between focusing on something that's working and like in a start. And I don't know, like, and I guess I guess that's what the startup studio, they spin it out. It's they literally then they do stop thinking about it. Right. Because then yeah. it's being run by someone else. That makes that's sense. That's their model. Right. Yeah. This is why I think uh, so many people who are, who are in tech are like, oh, it'd be so cool to run a, a venture studio. Because I think the idea of it sounds so cool. It's like oh, I get to focus on like new products all the time and I don't have to fully manage them and they're just going to work and we're just going to like, I get to move on to the next thing. It sounds super sexy. I think what I'm hearing from you is just that it's like much harder in practice to be able to split your focus across all these companies than it is to, that it like seems in your head. Well, yeah, I think it's, it just becomes a point where like when something's working, you kind of just need and want to spend more time on thinking about that, right? To, to make it, continuing to continue to make it continue growing um but i think it also depends on like how big your team is and and how much uh like help you have there to like help help grow everything yeah um i think that that's a big impact so so maybe like the optimal is like maybe like a 10 person team could like have multiple growing large businesses um I, I think where I think, though, a lot of it is like, I think that where the future is, is, is like, I do think it's kind of is what I'm doing of uh, small teams building not venture backed uh, or venture scale businesses, but building like modest, great businesses that are utilizing the leverage that we have with AI and no code. Yeah. And you don't need to have big teams and you don't need to to do that. Uh, and most businesses should not be venture scale. They shouldn't be. It's like, even when we were going through the YC companies, most of those, like, they don't need to be venture scale. There's not really a real reason that these need to be multi-billion dollar companies. Some of them can and should, but a lot yeah. of the businesses, like, should just make five or $10 million a year and call it a day. Yeah. Right? Uh, this is why so Tiny is so smart, because there are so many of these businesses that should not be venture scale, but are, because that's a game they signed up for. And then they realize after a while that they're not. And yeah. then Tiny comes in and they're like, well, like you're a good business. You're just not a venture scale business. Right. So we're going to buy you. We're going to like pay out your investors and we're going to make you the business that you should be. Yeah. And it, it's like a really cool niche that they've found. And I think it's such a smart way of thinking about it. But I think it's um, me wanting to have my cake and eat it too, to be like, oh, well, I'm like good at launching things. And I have this idea and I think that I can run a bunch of businesses in this vertical and 
why don't I just do like the natural next step, which is Tiny is acquiring companies. I could just start them. I could just have like a portfolio of all these companies and they kind of overlap in a way where it makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think there's maybe some details on like, how do you actually manage that? Like, do you get one person to run every business? Do you build a small team where there's like non-overlapping skills and you can separate off the different products? But yeah, it sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I do think that, right, the, the future path is like founders just skipping that part where they raise all the money and try and be venture backed. And then they just try and build their own, yeah. like sustainable tech company. And yeah. it also used to not be possible to do, to do that. Like if you wanted to build a tech company, you had to hire a team of like five developers and that cost yeah. millions of dollars to do, which is, isn't the case. Anymore. This is like the thesis of our podcast. Yeah. It's just like the leverage that technology gives you so you can build more right. powerful pools with way fewer people. Right. That's exactly. Yeah. Which is exciting. It's super exciting. And I, I do agree. I think your thesis of taking that thesis and applying it to, to fitness tech, I think yeah. makes a lot of sense. Um, and to me, like incubating the ideas makes sense. I think that there will be a certain point where you're going to say, Hey, this thing's really working. And like, I need to like, like focus on this. Like you're going to have something that's like starting to grow and you're going to want to yeah. water it and have it continue to grow more. Right. Um, is, is probably what would happen. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm my, and then, I'm, but I think once you would get to the, then like, I guess once something is like more sustainable and on its own, then you can shift your, so it's kind of a balance. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. I think by, um, and I think it'll be partially like an art and a science of like, when do you launch new things? How much do you focus on each one? Yeah. Um, I have one reaction about AI generally, which is we've been talking about like, where is the value going to accrue to? What are the opportunities? I think there's two in my mind, or at least like there's one set of opportunities that I've not really considering at the moment, which is what tools are you going to be able to build on top of these large language models that are actually going to be new transformative experiences that are going to be valuable? I honestly don't know. Like that's a big question mark in my mind. I want to sit on the sidelines and figure that out. But what I'm 100% certain of is that one of the byproducts of AI is just that you, exactly what we're talking about, get much more leverage on just one individual human. And that I know for sure is a value of AI is the fact yeah. that I could now like feasibly start multiple businesses and run them with way fewer people. Yeah. Uh, even if that's and, not just me. And even like the marketing side of the business can be done way more efficiently when you yeah. can get the first draft of everything in five seconds. Yeah. It's for, yeah, totally. I think there's even like, I'm even working, workshopping in my head, um, having a common design system across all of my products. To the yeah. point where I can just like pretty easily build out new things because I have like a shared repository of, okay, this is what our button looks like. This is what, how everything looks and works. Yeah. And I have all these components. And then if I want to go build something new, I just like can either tell a program to build it for me or I can just go do it really quickly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I think somebody... the, hard, the hard part I think is like still acquiring a customer is not automated yet. No. That's, what's yeah. like, that's the hard part I think in general. But that's and that's where like... And that's, but that's something we've been talking about forever too, is like, yeah, the, uh, the building, the product is getting commoditized, but like, yeah, the, acquiring the customer is still, you still got to run ads. You still got to do all these things to figure out how to, yeah. Right. Which is also why I like the idea of having a vertical studio, because if you can use, if you can just like keep targeting the same customer base, that's a huge way. And like, that would be a huge benefit to, that's why you start a studio in a vertical way. Yeah. If you I, have I like actual benefit to and leverage on your customer base too i totally agree and you start to look get domain knowledge on like how to speak to those customers mark to them even if it's different slightly different products it's definitely more challenging if like and this is even something it's like if i'm marketing to for people for no code mba and then i'm trying to market to like event man, man, you know planners for conference tab it's completely different customers and sales process so it's like completely different yeah uh, and I think that is something to think about if you're doing a multiple products or a startup studio of having it be more similar, I think is really helpful. Totally. I agree. Yeah. Do you want to go into a new topic or do you want to have me bounce with my... What else do you have uh, on your side? Let me see. Well, I have... Okay, so I have some ideas for my studio. I have... Uh, I have a bunch of random stuff. I... Thought some 
some ideas for what I could build in the studio. I have some research what? I did on Arc, the browser. Hmm. A lot of good ones. And I have some clothes ideas. What's uh, calling to you the most right now? Or I also have, uh, we could go to one of my carve outs early, which is the a new show by Ramit Sadie on Netflix. I don't know if you've oh, well, we'll, we'll just save carve outs. Oh, well, no, we're going to have the carve outs later. Uh, what about you? Do you have anything? Uh, let's, I, I want to hear about your ARC research. What's your... Yeah. Okay, so ARC's CEO, uh, Josh Miller last week or two weeks ago, tweeted about yeah. the technical advisor role. I think I talked to you about this. And so before I had my interview, I was just like, oh, I'll do some research. Have you talked? Did you have it? Yeah, I had my interview last week. I think they're honestly still so early in trying to figure out what they want in this role. Like, do they want someone who's uh, like a good DevOps engineer is going to save them $50,000 a month by figuring out how to optimize their services internally? Do they want someone who's like more of an entrepreneurial background who's just going to run experiments internally? Um, And I'm actually not sure it's the right fit for me, but it was cool to talk to them. I thought it was like the right fit to Josh. Not Josh. I talked to Hirsch, their CTO. Cool guy. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Like in my interview, everything got wrong. Like the power went out in WeWork. Uh, my WeWork Wi-Fi just sucked. Like everything went wrong, but yeah. it, was, it was fine. Uh, so a couple of things that I thought were interesting. I was listening to Josh Miller was on the Lenny Rashid's podcast. Okay. And um, there were some good nuggets. Like one is, I think they think about uh, metrics and their product in a really interesting way. Like their North Star metric is this metric they call D5, D7. It's how many users use their product five out of seven days in a week. Mm-hmm. And to them, that's like an all-encompassing metric. It's like, uh, obviously, it's like a sign of usage. Um, it's a sign of engagement. It's a sign of, it's something that they can measure going up and down over time. Mm-hmm. But you can see like trends. Uh, you can see the number of people doing this over time. So you can also see a trend that way. So it's kind of this all-encompassing metric. metric. And I thought it was a really interesting thing of like not that they kind of just like went with a blank slate we're like well we don't care what metric people look at why don't we like whiteboard how would we find out if if our users are actually getting value out of our product it's probably if they're using it and oh what's a good way to measure that they like think about things from a very first principle right yeah Uh, so that that was interesting another is um that they would like funny in, in light of the fact that i just mentioned a metric that they focus on but when they come out with new features, they focus less on like, oh, we got to like, you know, get people to spend more time on ARC and that's the metric we're driving for. Mm-hmm. They focus more on emotion. So it's more like we want our computer, our users to feel creative. Mm-hmm. How do we help them feel creative? Yeah. We want our users to feel uh, inspired. And they'll like start from there and try to fit back into products that help evoke that emotion from users. Yeah. As I don't know how I feel about that, but I, I like thought it was an, I just think that they think about product and right. engineering in a really interesting way. I don't know if I think it's good or bad yet. I thought it was noteworthy. Yeah. Uh, um, let me see if there's anything else. That Those are my two main things that I thought. Interesting. Yeah, I I like the that way of like developing in terms of what emotion you want your user to feel. I, yeah. I like that a lot. I think it's a good idea. And at the end of the day, like if that is going to lead to it's kind of like the idea of like do what you love and the money will follow. Like it's like don't, yeah. don't like design for an app for like more usage, right? Like yeah. design for people to feel creative or feel yeah. uh, excited, and then you're gonna get more usage, kind of thing. Yeah, so I think it's smart. It's the way you said that reminded me also of. Um, do you know anything about Matt? Does the name Matt Mishvia ring any bells for you? Okay, no. so. Did you follow anything this week about what the Phoenix Suns did with their podcast, no. right? Okay. Matt Ishbia just bought the uh, Phoenix Suns for like $4 billion. The The old owner was forced to sell. This guy was a former Michigan State basketball player. He played for Tom Izzo, started a mortgage company. The company had done really well. He seemed like an awesome guy. He was like the former owner. Uh, oh, the sorry, new the, owner. the new owner okay. played for Tom Izzo. Yeah, yeah. Cool guy. He's like 40 years old, so super young. And he just was like, yep, I've always wanted another team. I think this would be awesome. I'm going to do it. And uh, he was talking about, well, one, he was on Bill Simmons this week talking about just like putting the team and his philosophy. And his philosophy is basically like exactly what you said. Don't do it for the money. Do it to win. And if you do the right thing, the money will follow. Like that's always the right thing. And they've taken a really unique step this week that no other NBA team has followed, which is that they had 
uh, you've probably noticed this from being like a sports fan growing up. Sports like basketball, hockey are usually shown on a regional broadcasting yes. network. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of the a lot of the like big ones are going bankrupt right now. They they so basically the team will sign deals with their regional broadcast yeah. network, meaning yeah. that you can only watch the games in that network. Basically, is that correct? Or yeah, unless you're signed up for something. Yeah, else. if you're yeah, if you're a network like if I want to watch the Caps, I go to Comcast Sportsnet. Yep. Yeah. And uh, the team will like sell the broadcast right to them locally, and yeah. that's it. And you're and saying those networks are going bankrupt. A lot of them are going bankrupt. It's like a really bad business right now. And is it because no one's subscribing to cable anymore? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, In large part, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, what the Phoenix Suns did was they said, great, we're going to make all of our games free if you're in this local region, uh, and we're just going to broadcast them. So like, we're going to, we're not even going to try to find a new regional sports partner to like sell the rights to we're just going to do it all ourselves mm-hmm. and we're going to make it free so anyone in our region can actually go watch this game and it's really smart for that because like the big challenge right now with all these streamers and like the regional sports rights is um like if you want to charge for access then you're not going to attract any new fans your market is only limited to the people who are already big fans of you and are willing to spend five to ten dollars yeah. a month to watch right. your games but if your goal over the long term is like, I want to build this enterprise that's going to develop as much value yeah, as possible. It totally makes sense. It makes so much sense. It's, so like, it's like having podcasts for free and then getting the advertising on the back end, basically. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. And so like, Why is it going to limit your market? Totally. Yeah. And will he lose like tens of millions of dollars in the next couple years? Yeah, totally. But it, like overall, he's kind of going to break even. He's going to make all of his money back when he sells the team anyway. That's like completely overshadows any of the year to year profits and losses. So the idea of like, how, how much do you make? For, is it $10 million a year or how, how much? I don't it? know the exact number. It could be like in the, it's in the tens, probably loaded tens of millions of dollars. That's not year. that much. Yeah. It's really not that much. No, it's really not that much. How, like all the money that goes into the sports team. Yeah. And you'll make a few million on advertising because you're still going to broadcast that and you're still going to, they have a partner that yeah. like is helping them stream it. But yeah. Yeah. But, I, I thought it was, have just they like, thought about uh, having dynamic logos on the jersey? I, that's. <laughs> I mean, go, episode, go episode, episode what? I don't know. We need to be like David Center. Yeah. Yeah. Episode like 84 in minute 32. I'm like, how do yeah. you remember this? We did talk about that. It's a yeah. previous episode. Um, yeah. But I just thought that was a really smart way of thinking about it where it's like, yeah, all these people think, okay, I'm going to buy the team and then, you know, I got my regional sports partnership and whatever. Like, I'm just not going to even think about it. But no, he was like, okay, how do I build enterprise value? I'm going to get more fans to be interested in the team. They're going to buy jerseys. At the end of the day, like, uh, you know, 20 years from now, it's going to be way more valuable if I have more Phoenix Suns fans yeah. than if I charge or, I, like, optimize for the price that I'm making today. Is it going to be not free outside of the region, or how are they going to I actually do don't know how you would watch outside of the region. You, you'd probably have Is to... Is it not streamed on just the internet? Not that I know. Um, so they're like doing it on a TV channel, basically, for free? Yeah. Okay, got it. Because I, I have... assume that it was, like, going to be, like, a... You might be able to stream it too. I don't know the exact details. I just free. know that it's going to be free. But yeah, I think it. you might be able to stream it. Uh-huh. Like one thing that ESPN does for ESPN Plus, you can stream. They have deals with the regional hockey networks or the networks that broadcast regional hockey games. Where out of network, you can watch them through ESPN Plus if you have an ESPN Plus subscription. Right. Which is great for me because I live in Miami and I get to watch every Caps game for yeah. five bucks a month. Right. Like the yeah. best thing ever. Yeah, it's funny. Um, yeah. And so I just, you reminded me of that when you were like, how do you think about? Yeah, that. That's a great story. And I, yeah, yeah, I think that's very smart to do it that way. Totally. Yeah. He made his money doing, he made billions doing, uh, he has a mortgage banking business. So he sold yeah. Now, okay. When you buy a team, you would know this, I think. How much are you putting up as the majority owner? Are you owning like 51%? Yeah. Are you owning oh, 85%? So yeah. Or it depends. How does it work? It really depends. And I'm seeing this right now because the commanders are, going through the sale process and right there's like a, a main owner who i think he's going to own a plurality but not like the majority in this case i think he's going to own 30 percent. oh he's not even going to own the majority interesting okay yeah and scott josh harris he owns the uh, he Devils, already owns like the sixers and yeah yeah interesting. yeah and um so yeah it really depends like but Schneider he's still going like, to be the so owner like making the decisions because yeah the investors the are willing to agree to that essentially yeah got it got yeah it. So if the it's team really sells for $4 billion and you own, like, you might only own, you might only have to pay 50% of that, basically. Yeah. Can there, you get a mortgage? Can you? You know, <laughs> so how does the financials work for this? Yeah. How, how much do you put up in liquid cash, you know? 
Yeah, there are rules. So like you need to get approved to even be able to bid on a team. And part of the requirements are that you have a certain amount of cash that is liquid right. that you're putting up for it. Yeah. Um, I don't know the exact rules offhand. I just know that there are rules around it. And I'm sure there's like some minimum amount that you need to be able to put up. Right. Liquid, but I also know that some teams have been funded by like, by loan pass. Like mm-hmm. Dan Snyder took out a huge loan to buy the Redskins back in the day. Wow. So that ended up being a good, a pretty good investment. Yeah. So I, I guess where I'm getting at is you hear that team sold for $4 billion, but that doesn't mean the owner takes on $4 billion of cash. Correct. Has to have $4 billion. Oh, that too. Yeah. They don't need to have Or takes home for either way. Like that's yeah. what's just interesting to me. It's like, okay, so how much do you need to own a sports team? Because yeah. it's not $4 billion. Right. It's, uh, it might not even be $2 billion. It might not yeah. be $1 billion. How many millions of dollars or billions of dollars do you need to put up? Yeah, you know? that's a good question. Are you, and obviously you have to yeah. convince other investors that you're the right person for the, the job right. too, I think, but yeah. yeah, unless you do have all the money to put up yourself. Yeah. I don't know the exact answer. I just know that there's like a, a minimum percentage of the team that you bought or like the payment amount yeah. that you need to have liquid. And um, yeah, I don't know beyond that. That's a good question. Yeah. So it, it's attainable. We could own a sport. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Um. What else do you want to hit? I want to, okay. Uh, there's a couple more things. I want to hear one of your ideas, though, other than, let's do a business idea. Okay. Old-fashioned business idea. Okay. I'm yeah. going to, how about I rapid fire all of them and you can tell me which one's interesting. All right. So one we've talked about before is refunds for gym memberships. Uh, two is one thing we worked on together, which is drop-in pages for gym owners. I thought you were going to say... Uh, <laughs> trash collection um, that's funny <laughs> these are all fitness related these are all like fitness technology uh number three is a job board so that was me thinking like if i had a list of ten thousand people who all are like super into fitness what can i do with them i thought that it could be interesting to like start a job board um uh, four related as a newsletter five is uh kind of rebuilding what i did earlier with box jump which is like reports for gym owners but and maybe like crm integrations but just making it cheaper because I know how to actually code now. Yeah. Um, I, I'll tell you at the end which one's my favorite, but I won't give it away now. Uh, another is helping gyms migrate from one member management system to another. So like, could the member management systems pay me to be able to get their history out of another system and port, port it into their system? Which I think that, okay, I'm just going to say now, that one's my favorite. <laughs> and um, together. Yeah, another is uh, experiments using wearable fitness data, which I've we've like talked about in the past. But could I do like, yeah. oh, I want to improve my sleep. I'm going to play around with different uh, dials and yeah. Yeah, cool. cool. So uh, a couple questions for the job board, like who would be the types of like, would this would be like people who want to work at fitness companies? Yeah, so there's like, like oh, I'm recording. Okay, so there's a company, a newsletter called Fit Insider. Okay. And they have a job board and it's like mind body going on there and Peloton and right. So it'd be those kinds of companies. how many companies that's my question. How many companies, fitness companies are there that would like pay to like well this depends on how widely you brought on the scope because you could do like healthcare and all of a sudden mm. that's really big. And health yeah, then it gets big. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like it, I think it's like cool fitness wellness Peloton type company. Basically. No, I, I'm I'm imagining like fitness wellness healthcare. Speaking of wellness. Uh, this is a tangent, but did you see Ryan Breslow's new company, Love.com? Yeah, what do you think about this? I'm uh, just out on Ryan Breslow, but what do you think? The site is pretty well designed. I'm yeah, kind of I gotta give it yeah. to <laughs> <laughs> Props to the design <laughs> chef. That was, <laughs> compliments to the chef. That was pretty good. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. that company, like, yeah. Okay. Okay, so the the things that come to mind in, in my head, they're, they're different types of companies that, that you talked about here like something like a job board or a newsletter like especially a job board is um different type of company than like a technology company yeah. you're going to try and build in different ways easy probably generally easier to to lower ceiling but but easier i i so so i'll been quickly on the job board i i the newsletter Unless you really want to write, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not doing that. Or unless you want to hire someone, like if you could hire, like I don't know, could there be like a daily newsletter about fitness tech? Like honestly, that could be pretty cool. Like if uh, I think Fit Insider's doing a great job, I love them. Is it daily? You keep doing your thing. Is it daily? Uh, Not really daily, but it's like pretty. I I think have it. That's I tell you, Anthony. You you keep it busy. Uh, It's a great. 
crushing it. You do a great job. I'm I do good. think I do think job board is very cool though. Uh, there's yeah. probably like just think about you. You specifically like are very interested in working for yeah tech and what health and wellness companies. Uh, I think that's actually very interesting. I don't know if there's that like there's probably not a ton of competition for job boards for that type of thing. And I, I think that that's a cool like side hustle that could end up making you six figures a year very, very passively, which I think if you can do that, that's going to like, that's going to be awesome. Like that's going to a like give you the, give you freedom. It's going to give you the ability to like take that money and reinvest it back in your other businesses. I think yeah. that it's a really great passive income source that would fit perfectly into this model to like help yeah. fund everything else. Uh, and also your it's the perfect thing because you're going to like have this email list of people and you're going to have all the, I think that is really cool. And I would definitely consider this is without me knowing the like competitive landscape of like what these job boards look like. But I I think that's actually very interesting. Um, I really like that idea. So I think that you should do that. I think that, but that is an example of something you could definitely do something else in addition to it. We can talk about your favorite idea, idea real quick. So it's the idea that, you're going to build like the Zapier of help this member management management data. You're going to sell it to every member management system and be like, hey, like if if you want to advertise to potential clients that we can very easily transfer your data to us, they're going to be able to do that because you're going to have built connections with all of them. Exactly. And they're all going to have to do it because and then they're <laughs> And then they're going to collude against you and say, no one can use it anymore. No, no, no. I think that, is that the idea? That's the idea. Yeah, I think that's, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, Like, yeah, I don't know, but ultimately, like, what's the end game going to look like if they all use you? And then it just becomes transferable, basically, which would, I guess, be good for the consumer at the end of the day. Um, Or one of them can just buy you and be like, hey, we just want to buy you. Yeah, we're done with this. Yeah. connect yeah right so uh i i do like that idea and I, I imagine even if you went like i guess the question is how hard is it for them to like build that themselves or like um, i imagine pretty hard it probably is adding a good they're not going to build a write any code that like touches another company's code because i think for them they'll like maybe they would buy me but i don't think that they would have well one they don't have developers like a lot of these companies are big right. sales orgs yeah. so they're not that's, actually that's be able to do it. and two is uh yeah i don't know if like if i'm modify i don't know if i'm gonna want to like write code that interacts with pike 13's api because they might get pissed and then assume me or now right now like if you are extracting data from pike 13 why are they going to give you api access to do that basically why is Pike 13? Yeah. Because they they're off eventually. Or they're going to do it because they also can then use you to get to get other. I think that's the challenge there. Yeah. It's challenging to rely on another company's API in, in that way, I guess. But yeah. Um, but then again, like they should just all pay you to have access to this, basically. Yeah. I guess, like, taking a step back, the original thought of this was I think it could be very valuable to have. Um, to build out a system that can interact with the APIs of all these different companies yes. and yeah. to get data in and out of them. Like if I want to build CRM connections or like reporting, I can kind of need access to the data. Yeah. And what else can I do if I have access to that data? Yeah. And so that was where the thought came from. I was like, well, if I have access to the data, I, why can't I just like take it from one system to another system? I mean, I, I like that a lot. And also, if they like make it, like they should be willing to pay you a lot of money to do that. If, I would think so, because I can also standardize the data and like put it in whatever column formatting they have, because I know what their data formatting is. I know what they yeah. call their all their columns and map them between each other. Yeah. Um, I think that would be super valuable. Uh, the Yeah, the, I think we talked about the biggest challenge, I think, with it. I just don't like, I, I wouldn't like being, having a little bit like, like not full control over like the business because you're kind of relying a little bit. But it's, yeah, that's the only challenge that I think. I agree. Yeah, I like it. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Carve outs? Uh, you want to add something else? Yeah, let's do carve outs. So, all right. I have two things to talk about here. Uh, one is, I mentioned this to you briefly. Have you read uh, Ocho's 
investor updates that they publicly post, which is by Anchor. I don't remember remember his last name. The, I think. Yeah, the founder of Nojo. Um, I highly recommend reading it. It's very, very cool. He's um, shared every month all of the investor updates. I think it's pretty, like, I think he might change a few things here and there, but pretty much public. And it's just very cool to see, like, you can, like, in, you can read, like, the growth of the company in the last year and, like, yeah. kind of see what it's like to, like, experience, like, starting a startup from, like, the very beginning. And they're like, oh, like, we have our first customer. We have five customers. This is also, and then, like, yeah. just seeing it grow throughout. Um, and he does a really good job, so. Have you thought uh, about signing up for Ocho, too? Because aren't you in their target, target demo? Yeah, I've, I've also considered signing up for Ocho. Yeah. Um, it It's actually, a pretty, it seems like a very cool product. I need to do more research into it. And then I think also, it's always, like, I think anything that handles money, I'm going to be a little bit more, like, I need to do extra research if it's, like, a startup, basically. Yeah. That's the biggest thing, I think, is, like, if you're going to trust a company with your money, just making sure that, like, and I think they probably, I'm sure they use a fintech bank. Like, there's these banks that kind of handle the money in the back end. But even that, it's, like, do I want to, it's almost so I want to put my money in that, I guess. Um, maybe I'm yeah. thinking that, but. Uh, I don't know if you're ever thinking But, yeah, I think there's, I just have to do research into them versus other options. But they do seem, they do seem very cool. Yeah. I think they're going to probably be pretty successful. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. I like yeah. it. And you said uh, you had a second one. So the second one is, we were talking about this before, but I read the Steve Jobs book that uh, you mentioned yeah. earlier, which is put out by his family's foundation, I think. And I agree. I would love to have a hard copy of that. I would pay for it for sure. Yeah, I'd pay it. Uh, I hope that they make it public. Yeah, or if the price on eBay goes down from that Apple yeah, we'll have to employees look at it that got it. But yeah, yeah. I, I really like it. I think I... I mean, obviously, like, it just kind of, like, it, the one thing that I forgot about Steve Jobs is he was CEO of Pixar. Yeah. And he was CEO of Pixar Wall when they were dropping bangers yeah. one after another. Yeah. Like, Toy Story, like, Monsters, Inc., a yeah. bug, well, Bugs Life, I think, uh, Cars, like, The Incredible. Like, these are, like, the first five or six that they dropped. Finding Nemo, like, they did not miss. No, they didn't miss at all. They were... Uh, yeah, so pretty amazing and also very cool because they, they shared, like, emails that he wrote to the the team at the time. Um, it's honestly just pretty amazing how many hits he's had. He had, like, really, really incredible. Yeah. And the way that he thinks about business and products is really very artistic. And I think that there's a lot to be inspired by in that. And... Uh, yeah, really, just really great read. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm but, I'm glad you brought that one up. So I read the Jobs biography recently, and I think similar to how we both read Invent and Wander and had like a whole long conversation about our reflections on it, I think we could do something similar for Jobs. Yeah, because I I wrote down a lot of notes about like these are my takeaways, these are things that inspired me about it, he, and I totally agree. He just like cuts through the bullshit so much and just gets down to a very refined like, no, this is really the best product experience, so that's what we should do. Yeah, I and, also have a page of highlights, so I think we should do this yeah, next, we next episode. This. Yeah, yeah, I love that idea. That's a good one. I I love that, and I also I'm saving the book because I've just read the biographies. Yeah, like, fair right, enough. I need yeah. like a little bit of space between that, but yeah, that's a great one. The interesting thing that I was just listening to a podcast with Kevin Kelly, uh, who's the founder oh, yeah. of Wired Magazine. Did you download his book or no? Uh, which one? Kevin Kelly just came out with a new book. I think that's like I said, he's on the podcast. He's tour. on circuit. Yeah. Um, I no, I did not uh, download it, but but it was on the Noah Kagan podcast, and he asked him about Steve Jobs because he had interviewed him, and Kevin Kelly was like, "Yeah, he's was brilliant, but he was a jerk. Like, I would have never wanted to like. I don't think he said I'd never want to work for it, but he was basically saying like he just was a jerk. I guess like he thought he was arrogant, but he yeah. thought he was brilliant at the same time. And also, to be fair, like even reading like the book like kevin Kelly was saying he interviewed him after he was fired from apple he was working next yeah. and it does seem like he it seems like he got wiser and mellowed out by the time he came back to apple and yeah. pixar and i think he was maybe a different person i don't know uh but just interesting to kind of read that book and be like oh my god he's amazing he's perfect and then yeah kevin Kelly's like yeah he was a jerk like 
And, you know, and people do say that about him, but yeah. totally. It does look yeah. kind of amazing that Apple worked out in the first place because it was like he was working on these products and then he basically like everyone internally hated him. But he like started this this other like I forgot what computer it was. Maybe it was like the Apple three or I don't know. But it was he, he was like working on this new product and he kind of like had this whole new office with like a smaller group of people that was right. separated from the, the A actual, team, right? Yeah, he was like, he like he put up like pirate flags at the Apple campus. And he was like, We're the pirates here. Dude, this is your company. <laughs> this is your own company. Doing this. It was crazy. Yeah. It's like amazing that it worked out at all. Yeah. It, that that is so true. Um yeah, it's almost like in spite of all those things, it, it did work out and then um, it seems like after being fired, it really changed him. And then he came back, obviously. Yeah. 2.0. Oh. Cool. All right. What are your car routes? Um, I'm, my main car route for the day is the Ramit Saidi show. Okay. Uh, I, I watched the first episode. Um, Matt, go ahead. Tell me your thoughts. I'll tell you. Okay. So how to get rich on Netflix. Uh, I think one of my car routes, like maybe a year and a half ago, was... For me, Sadie on Tim Ferriss talking about the rich life, and it like was very inspirational to me. Yeah, um, and it caused me to think about my rich life. I did a whole exercise with Sammy. It was I told a lot of people that it was really good, like very influential for me. And um, I think like it honestly, I thought it took Remy two episodes to hit his stride and to actually not be like thing, but like for me. But um, Sammy and I binged it over the weekend, and we honestly spent all weekend like with Pixel open talking about our rich lives and like. Oh, budgeting out, like going through our our transactions, being like, where could we like figure out how to you know reallocate this so we spend our money on things that we love, as opposed to like not having any, any control over money and spending it all over the place. Um, so it gave me much more insight into both like where's my money going and also where do I enjoy spending money. Yeah, because uh, in some ways I, I like really get anxious about spending money, and in other ways I'm like oh, I, I like love buying clothes, but I hate all the clothes that are out there. So like one of my a couple of my notes today were about like ideas in the clothing space. But I right. really want to start them, but yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah. But so, yeah, anyway, yeah, that cool. was good. Car route, it was yeah. great. I love it. it. Off the bench, it. Yeah, you should watch it. Even so, you subscribe to his podcast? Uh, maybe I see it on Twitter all the time. I don't think I subscribe. Yeah. Do you yeah. listen or no? I subscribe to it, but I don't really listen to it. Yeah, it's Very pretty interesting. interesting. I've listened to a couple episodes of Sammy. It's like, uh, we we usually like listening to the really rich people who are like not happy at all. <laughs> <laughs> And they're like biting yeah. over saving three dollars at Whole Foods or something. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Cool, awesome, good episode. Yeah, yeah. episode's fun. I think we really hit our stride in the middle. Really yeah. hit our stride in the middle. All right. Uh, it's weird being in person. It's also weird having like the camera right in front of us so you can like watch ourselves. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was, I kept catching myself like looking over here and looking at you because it's much more natural for me to just like, yeah. around having a conversation. I actually like it better in person. I feel like it flows. Oh no, it's definitely way. better. It's much better in person. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's great. Cool. Well, good stuff. Awesome. Forty more. The audio is uh good quality. We'll yeah. uh, we'll we'll get it going in post, and we'll we'll make sure it's all clean. But uh, yeah, awesome. Here's to forty more. See you, everybody. Yeah. See ya.